Um, let's pray. This is the, uh, the, the second of the two colleagues that Thomas Cramner, the uh, uh, first Archbishop uh, of Canterbury, the first Archbishop within Anglicanism at the time of the Reformation, wrote for, uh, for Christmas. The fancy title is The Feast of the Nativity. So this is his second um, collect in a great little book, which still has a lot of throwaway value, not throwaway at all, is, uh, is the book that, that Fred Barbie, the former Anglican Digest editor who had his office here when the Anglican Digest was produced and edited out of the Advent, and Paul Zoll co-wrote um, called The Collects of Thomas Cramner. Uh, Paul would observe this is the most theologically dense and rich of Thomas Cramner. Listen to Cramner's genius. Um, in the way that he was able to organize theology, in this instance, a robust Trinitarian theology in a prayer. This is the Bible at prayer, as people would describe. So the second collect on the Feast of the Nativity. <clears throat> Almighty God, who hast given us thine only begotten Son to take our nature upon him, and as at this time to be born of a pure virgin, Grant that we, being regenerate and made thy children by adoption and grace, may daily be renewed by thy Holy Spirit, through the same our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the same Spirit ever, one God, world without end. Amen. If uh, if you need something to, um, this is going to sound odd, this is what I like to do, even on Christmas I like to get up kind of early, set my alarm, and, and get up before the house wakes up, which for some people I know is early. We're getting that age where it's not quite so early, typically. And just get up, have a cup of coffee, sit at the tree, and have a moment to reflect. This this would be a great collect to, to, to steep yourself in, and just allow the word, the single sentence, to, um, to marinate in what this is. The Trinity, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ, who with the Holy Spirit, one God, liveth and reigneth forever, world without end. Um, I mean, just to let that sort of go in. So commend that to you, because that's, you know, unscripted. But that's what this class is, the second of two parts, which is um, if by um, the Holy Spirit's guidance, just something in these last three days before Christmas, something to sort of hook into and think about. On, uh, on Tuesdays, we're here gathering to have a, you know, one of our um, our, uh, our glorious Christmas Eve services, or on Wednesday when it's Christmas Day, somewhere in the midst of all the the, the frenetic activity, or even even as we'll get into a little bit today, or at least allude to, uh, if you're somewhere where you'd rather not be, <laughs> you know, uh, and you're thinking, you know, what was me? You know, I don't want to be here with these people doing this at this time. You know, that's that's where the Lord enters in, um, you know, somewhere if there's a hook in there. So that's uh, that's the second colic uh, for um, for Christmas. So the stories we tell at Christmas, uh, let's move forward, and, and hopefully, uh, because I bet I won't leave time at the end for comments, so interrupt, because this is a disjointed series of notes that I have. Um, I've kind of got a theme that I'm working into and away from, but, but make a comment, make an interjection if you... Uh, are so inclined. Last week we read the, the Christmas story out of Matthew. This morning, out of Luke. Probably the, the, the more well-known of the two, the one that that, uh, that Peanuts gets, the one that we're out of primarily for um, for our uh, uh, our pageant, which we just saw. 
the story in Matthew, as we saw last week, a more Jewish nature, really emphasizes the Magi. Um, here, Luke, who, who writes for the common man, as it were, he really emphasizes the, uh, the meek and mild Jesus, um, breaking forth in an extraordinary way into the ordinary aspects of life. And so what does he focus on? He focuses on um, the humility of, 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 uh, of Mary and, and Joseph and then the, uh, the shepherds. Um, so here's the story from Luke 1 and 2. Luke 1, 26 verse, uh, through 2:21. is where I'll stop. Um, so the birth of Jesus. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, <coughs> excuse me, and Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am still a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, John the Baptist, and, it, and this in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to the firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. <clears throat> and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them to into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, 
pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. So here's Luke's story, and we're not going to um, sort of dissect it and pick it apart, just to let the familiar words kind of wash over us with some visuals and all that. And I've showed some, I said this last week too, uh, you know, beginning a few weeks ago when I was starting to think about Christmas and how we would, um, how I would approach it, I was like, well, I could do that, I've done that before, I could do, I've done that before, and I thought, you know, that's okay. Um, like this picture on the left, for instance, which, you know, just sort of, I think it's by a photographer named Shirley Byrne. That name doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but I forgot several years ago, I was just Googling, looking for images that might have something to do with Christmas. And I think she t- called this the Holy Family, um, which I loved. And, and there's a picture that stuck with me. And every year I pull it out and I look at it and I think about it. And, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it captures me further and further. So repetition's fine. Um, we hear, you know, uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. Um, uh, how many times? And it's always good. It always leaves its mark. So that's just my disclaimer that, uh, that there's some repetition here. And, I, that's okay, and I'm, not, I'm not apologizing. But, the, but I, I guess I kind of am because here I am going on and on and on and on and on. So... Um, so this little triptych of sorts um, with, uh, with this, this couple, um, I think it's uh, in the Mississippi Delta, of a, of a young girl and, and uh, uh, a young man, um, obviously just disheveled hair with this little kid and a sippy cup, uh, uh, and she called it Holy Nativity, Mississippi Delta. And then up in the upper right corner, um, this is an image that that uh, Scott Grumley sent me a couple of years ago after one of the, the Christmas classes of just a uh, a kid um, laid in a box, um, and then beneath an image that I looked at last week that I had found uh, uh, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, just a mash of humanity um, all uh, colliding in in with each other, and so there's the busyness across the street, the inn, you know, civilization, our expectations, et cetera, and so forth. The cars whirring, the boundary land between the two, uh, and then uh, and then this makeshift shelter, and there's a, a man in there. Um, all these just sort of an image, a visual way of impressing upon us, especially Luke's emphasis on the nativity, the upside downness of Christmas, uh, that the way God comes to us is the way that He is for us, that He comes to us in this weakness, in this powerlessness, in this most unexpected of ways, more than unexpected, even obnoxious, uh, uh, threatening, um, scandalous. Uh, It's a good New Testament word. Uh, He comes to us in ways that that are offensive, that, that, that collide with us, I think, in a lot of ways to our sensibilities of things, the way things ought to be, and he does it without apology. He just crashes right into us. These are images which begin to draw that out. And now just throwing out some places. And again, interrupt anywhere you want. Um, make this into a conversation. Phillips Brooks, Anglican uh, uh, clergyman um, in the Northeast Connecticut, I think it was. Um, somebody know that? Um, 
He wrote, A Little Town of Bethlehem in 1867, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. So here's these visuals, this collision this dirty family on the left, um, this baby in a box and, uh, and a makeshift shelter. There are, um, there are aspects of, this is a, a strange phrase, but this is something I'll try to weave in and out. There are aspects of Christianity that are absolutely unchristian. There's nothing particularly Christian about so much of Christianity. Morality, the value of hard work, um, uh, being kind to another, um, everything encompassed in the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or don't do to somebody else what you don't want them to do to you, whichever way you want to put it. There's nothing Christian about that, and yet it's contained within what we call Christianity, and that's fine. But trying to discern and come into the ideas that make Christianity truly Christian what makes it unique? Phillips Brooks begins to approach that baby in the box kind of thing. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years, all of history, finding its focus point on this baby in a box, this baby in a manger where, for where there was no room and our expectation about where and how he should come. Surely we would find a royal birth, you know, descended from none other than, say, William and Kate um, in the palace. You know, you would go where you would find them. And the Magi would certainly go to, to um, what is it, Kensington? Is that their palace? Um, you would go somewhere. You would go to Kensington. You would go to the temple. You would go to the White House. You would go at least to St. Vincent's, where babies come from. Um, <laughs> but not, not here, not across the street, not in a box. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect the angel to say, and this shall be a sign. You will go and you will find a baby in a box. You will go and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, in strips of linen that were forgotten in rag. Uh, and you will find him lying in a manger, in a feeding trough, you know, next to uh, the leftover hay that the, uh, that the, that the camel didn't eat. Um, that's weird. You know, it's the contra aspect of Christianity Anytime you can get there, you're probably getting to that place of the Christian parts of Christianity, the Christian parts of Christmas, in other words, that part of Christmas which is, in fact, offensive, subversive, and, in fact, the good news that is born to us this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Um, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The substitution begins to be formed. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Displace, Lord. Enter into us and is so entering in. Displace our sin. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born not here, but be born in us today. Um, this, uh, um, yeah, I'll hit pause. Any comments there? Comment. Yeah, absolutely, Forsyth. I'm going to go into something My else. I always say that God likes to show off who you from the depth of someone who you up and really show himself. And if you think about it, if 
Mary, let's say, had been married for a couple of years and wasn't a virgin, and the baby was born in a palace, I just don't think that the impact would have been the same and it wouldn't have reached as far. And maybe even if it would have been as believable that it was God. I mean, there's absolutely no question that it was God in this case. And I think that's what, what he was going for. Sure. I think it's certainly part of it. It approaches it, gets there. Um, could God have been born to, you know, what, what if God in his wisdom, uh, you know, because he's of the house and lineage of David, what if he was David, the great king of Israel? Flawed, you know, more than flawed. Uh, uh, sinful as he is, what if he, rather than Mephibosheth, was his firstborn son? Of course God could have done that. But God comes to us to show us the way that he is for us in our weakness. He comes to us, as I mentioned earlier, if on Wednesday you find yourself somewhere where you'd rather not be. That's actually the fodder. That's actually the fertile ground for where God is. Um, use that as a segue. Obviously one of my, my hero, Martin Luther, wrote a series, wrote a bunch of sermons because he was a preacher. More than he was anything else, he was a preacher. He would preach, like a lot of, he would preach many times a week. So he preached the Christmas story several times. One of his biographers, Roland Bainton, who wrote really still probably the best biography, Here I Stand, um, it's out there. Uh, uh, he collected several of the sermons and put it into this little book. And here's one of Luther's Christmas sermons. Um, as you listen, you can, of course, look up there. It's the same theme uh, of God coming to us the way that he is, to show us the way that he is for us. God allows the godly, this is Luther, God allows the godly to be powerless and oppressed so that everyone thinks they are done for. Yet even in that very moment, God is most powerfully present, though hidden and concealed. When the power of man fails, the power of God begins. I mean, isn't this contemporary? This is, if you have anybody that's struggling at all with anything resembling powerlessness like alcoholism or any form of depression or anxiety, just anything, you know, a troubling relationship at work that you don't feel like you're making any inroads in. You know, this is, this is it. When the power of man fails, the power of God begins. Even so was Christ powerless on the cross, and yet he was the most mighty there and overcame sin, death, world, hell, devil, and all ill. You have got to feel the pinch of hunger in the midst of scarcity and experience to and experience what hunger and scarcity are. When you do not know where to turn to yourself or to anyone else, but only to God, that the work may be God's alone and of none other. You must not only think and speak of lowliness, but come into it, sink in it, utterly helpless, that God alone may save you. Or at any rate, should it not happen, you should at least desire it and not shrink, for this reason we are Christians and have the gospel and may fall into distress and lowliness and that God thereby may have his work in us. So that's a unique word. Um, it's a Christian word for Christmas. Um, an offensive word to many. Um, I know a lot in this room and probably, you know, I don't know what you're thinking, but there are a lot of people that would be really offended with this idea, especially at Christmas, that God works, God's power begins where our power ends, um, that God comes to us powerless uh, in order to show the way that he is for us. 
Um, so another um, a contemporary of Luther, um, Albert Altdorfer, I think is his name, uh, an artist. I'm sorry it's not bigger for those on the far side of the room. have to get out your binoculars. Um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's unique at the time, uh, it's, uh, right, right at the time, just before the Reformation, I think, but it captures something uniquely um, over 500, 500 years ago, this year, I guess, it was 1513, where um, underneath, you know, so there's the sub, the underneath the, uh, the expected part, underneath the house, even a dilapidated, bombed-out house, uh, there's the, the Holy Family, and, and it's the humility here. Um, later we'll see in a, uh, a bunch of, uh, of images that are, that are going to be mixed in with Bob Dylan's um, O Come All Ye Faithful. What stands out here for me is the, uh, the solitude of the birth. Um, it's just Joseph and older Joseph and younger Mary, and it looks like a couple of angels, and that's it. It's not even the multitude of the heavenly host. Um, it's just a couple of cherubs. Uh, marking time on this bleak midwinter night um, where Christ enters in, uh, where Christ enters in. Um, and this is, a, this is the movement of God moving amongst the ungodly. So with this in mind, Frank, and he may, you know, with all, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he'll repeat this. He, he gave a, uh, we had a staff luncheon a couple of weeks ago, Christmas party. Christmas lunch, and he told a remarkable story, I thought, and he may show up again in his Christmas Eve sermon. I have no idea, because if it were me, I would certainly use this material twice. So you might hear it. Um, uh, this is not mine, it's Frank's. He was a young clergyman, and Christmas Day, uh, he gets a phone call, and it's uh, somebody's father unexpectedly had an aneurysm or a heart attack, something like that. And he said, would you come? And he said, of course, and he goes to the hospital. Uh, the family that he knew had a lot of undercurrents, shall we say. Uh, some that he knew well, some he didn't know so well. Uh, and one that he didn't know so well, but he had heard was somewhat of, a, of an aggressive personality. I'm adding some details here. I mean, he didn't say that, but that's my story, just to give it a dramatic effect. Um, uh, came uh, forward and they're sitting in the hospital room around this man whom Frank knows well uh, and he's unconscious and he's probably dying and the uh, and one of the daughters looks at him and says well pastor you know, with some disdain why don't you give us a word to make us feel better and Frank didn't pick the bait and he says the Holy Spirit it just came to him Christmas Day and she said uh, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, just Christ the Lord. That's an inspired word in that situation. Well, Pastor, why don't you give us a word to make us feel better? <laughs> There's no word. There's no word that any human could offer to make you feel. Oh, there, there. It's you know. That didn't win. That didn't, the thing that didn't kill you is going to make you stronger. It's going to be okay. One day, it's going to make it. <laughs> I had that email exchange with somebody this week. I was like, that's not Christian, by the way. It's Friedrich Nietzsche, no, no friend of Christianity. Um, an inspired word. Unto you is born this day, in Wednesday, in the city of David, because it's an historical event, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And that's what this is. Um, God comes to us to show us the way that he is for us in this burned-out, 
bombed. Uh, I'm off the end of my rope, facing the death of myself or somebody else. I need a Savior. I need someone who will do something for me that I can't do myself. I mean, that's what a Savior is. When you need a lifeguard, you don't need help. You need someone to do something for you which you cannot do yourself. Unto us is born that day in the city of David a Savior. Um, That's the Christian part of Christmas, by the way. So with that, um, uh, comments, I'm about to make a big shift here and move to... uh, the cosmic view, um, and it'll probably get a little bit less heavy as we sort of flit out of here, but um, let's stay there for just a moment. The, uh, the bombed out, burnout end point that, in fact, that's where the power of God begins. It's the uh, it's assuredly the unsentimental part of Christmas, but I think it actually then evokes a proper sentiment and sentimentality about um, about the nativity. Any any thoughts? Anybody want to offer anything? I feel like I got a little bit of space today. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Would you say it's also antithetical to Christianity or just sort of also more broadly known? Good question. Um, It's not antithetical, because certainly there it is, Um, but it's not not Christianity. Like if you pulled it down and said, what is Christianity? Christianity is not being kind to your neighbor. Christianity is not the the Good Samaritan. Um, What emerges from whatever Christianity is having the hopes and fears rest in a baby in a box, and there's some exchange that happens, what then emerges from that exchange is certainly included in that, um, but it's, it's absolutely knowable by, um, without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, without the regenerate, as Thomas Cramner prayed in his, 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 his collect. Uh, regenerate means that the Holy Spirit has generated again a new spirit. What 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 happened to Nicodemus in John 3. He was born again. People that aren't born again through the Holy Spirit, I mean, they understand it. And it's present in just about every religion. Um, You've probably seen them. They end up on office, you know, iceboxes. Icebox? Why did I say icebox? Office refrigerators. Um, Wow. (laughs) Something? We used to call it an icebox. You know, golden rule. And it's in Islam... It's, it's, it's in the Quran, it's in the Bhagavad Gita, it's in, uh, it's in the Bible, it's, it's in all the great texts. So. Anyway. The same sort of common man that might grasp that might also believe that a child would come and sort of kids it the house. And then the special revelation is the fact that, it, that the child comes in a box. I think several would, and the child not just, but some would say that, well, you know, child comes in a box, that's great, that's humility. Marx would like it that way. I don't want to get too far in this. Um, but uh, it's about that particular child, um, that the hopes and fears rest on him, uh, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ was born to us so that he might die for us. Um, that's where the thunder really happens. And that's where, um, that's the scandal on. 
That's the stumbling block to the Jews uh, and foolishness to the Greeks. So, within all that, there's a separate. Um, uh, there's another uh, story of Christmas. Um, I've taught on this before. This is a William Blake image called the Woman and the Red Dragon out of Revelation 12. I've got it. Let me just read this briefly. There's our perspective, baby born in a box, Holy Family, Mississippi Delta, and all that. And then there's the perspective um, in the fourth dimension beyond, so to speak, the cosmic perspective, um, which the Bible also gives us just a glimmer of. So in the revelation given to John, we hear this, And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, this is Mary, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars, and she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So it is a fantastic revelation-laden story. Just to say, because I'm setting this up for a Flannery O'Connor piece, um, there's, um, there's the way we see things, there's the way other people see things, and there's the way things actually are. And the Bible likes to pull these together. There's another way of viewing um, the collision of God eternal over all parts of the cosmos, parts known and unknown, uh, that as he condescended and came into this forgotten, this, this silent planet, as C.S. Lewis called it, there's all that. So Flannery O'Connor, one of my favorites, um, as I talk about her a lot in my classes, uh, she wrote a, um, uh, a novel, one of her um, two novels, I think, uh, called The Violent Shall Bear It Away, um, out of the King James Bible in Matthew, um, where the title comes. Uh, this displacing, um, that cast out our sin and enter in, this displacing aspect of Christmas, of the nativity, uh, and the severity of the incarnation and this wintry love where there's, a, there's one way to think about the cosmic tension, the battle between the red dragon and, and, and Mary, uh, the one uh, through whom the eternal will become finite. Uh, O'Connor begins to evoke some of that tension. And so here's the story. Little girl, I think she's 11 in the story, um, she's a preacher. And she's preaching in a barn, kind of a sawdust meeting, uh, uh, probably to 15, 16 people. Uh, a child preacher, a child, a little girl preacher. And there's um, this guy, I think his name is Tarwater, I can't remember. He's standing on the outside, looking in, you know, peering through a broken window. Um, at first he's trying to remain hidden, but he gets caught up. In her in her sermon, and so she he starts to listen, and then the uh, the story picks up here. Uh, this is the girl's sermon. So this is the girl's voice. God told the world he was going to send it a king, and the world waited. The world thought a golden fleece will do for his bed, silver and gold and peacock tails. This is very Revelation-like in its description, and a thousand suns and a peacock's tail will do for his crib. His mother will ride on a four-horned white beast and use the sunset for a cape. 
she'll trail it behind over her ground. She'll, I'm sorry, she'll trail it behind her over the ground and let the world pull it to pieces, a new one every evening. And the world said, How long, Lord, do we have to wait for this? And the Lord said, My word is coming. My word is coming from the house of David, the king. And then she began again in a dirge-like tone. Jesus came on cold straw. Jesus was warmed by the breath of an ox. Who is this? The world said. Who is this blue-cold child and this woman, plain as the winter? Is this the word of God, this blue-cold child? Is this his will, this plain winter woman? This collision, this cosmic tension between a woman clothed with the sun uh, from the one perspective, the cosmic perspective, but then you see the actual Mary, this, 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 this plain winter woman, this teenager, you know, Mississippi Delta, uh, holy family, this teenager, this forgotten little girl uh, giving birth to um, the eternal word who looks like a blue cold child who is warmed only by the breath of an ox. This, this collision between these worlds. And then here comes Joy to the World by Isaac Watts. Um, here he comes to make his blessings flow. For as the curse is found, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found. And then bleeding over to Charles Wesley. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Echoing St. Augustine's dictum, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Where from the eternal um, cosmic perspective, God emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Uh, Come, thou long expected Jesus, release us um, from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Um, Luther then, and then we'll kind of move to, uh, to Bob Dylan and wrap up. Um, comes one more time as we get this tension going back and forth and we feel the weight of our sin and the sin of the world and the tension between the, uh, the cosmic and the blue cold, um, between the woman clothed in the sun and the plain winter woman being the will of God. Here, um, here's Luther again. When you feel that pangs, even the terror of this God um, before whom we all must stand. And when you start to consider how, how vast and mysterious he must be and his ways becoming more and more unapproachable, then we hear this word, this pastoral word about um, the considering the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus. Um, let us then meditate upon the nativity just as we see it happening in our own babies. I would not have you to contemplate the deity of Christ, the majesty of Christ, but rather his flesh. Look upon the baby Jesus. Divinity may terrify man. Inexpressible majesty will crush him. That is why Christ took on our humanity, save for sin, that he should not terrify us, but rather that, with love and favor, he should console us and confirm Behold Christ, lying in the lap of his young mother, still a virgin. What can be sweeter than the babe? What more lovely than the mother? What fairer than her youth? What more gracious than her virginity? Look at the child, knowing nothing. Yet all that is belongs to him, that your conscience should not fear but take comfort in him. Doubt nothing. 
Watch him springing in the lap of the maiden. Laugh with him. Look upon this Lord of peace, and your spirit will be at peace. See how God invites you in many ways. He places before you a babe with whom you may take refuge. You cannot fear him, for nothing is more appealing to man than a babe. Are you affrighted? Then come to him, lying in the lap of the fairest and sweetest maid. Yet you will see how great is the divine goodness which seeks above all else that you should not despair. Trust him, trust him. Here is the child in whom is salvation. To me, there is no greater consolation given to mankind than this, that Christ became a man, a child, a babe, lying in the lap and at the breast of his most gracious mother. Who is there whom this sight would not comfort? Now is overcome the power of sin, death, hell, conscience, and guilt. If you come to this gurgling babe, and believe that he has come, not to judge you, but to save. Here is the terrifying truth of our judgment, of the cosmic significance of, uh, of who we are, that all the world, all the cosmos is waiting for the revelation of the sons of man, says in Romans 8. Uh, and yet, when we get drawn there to the inexpressible, to the parts that, that, that terrify and leave us confused, are you affrighted, Luther says? Come back. Come back to the very real collision in time of the baby Jesus being born, uh, this blue-cold child that was given to us for the defeat of hell, death, sin, the world, and all judgment. The graciousness of God in the approachability of a child. God comes to us to show us the way that he is for us. Come, 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 he says. Come, trust him, trust him. Come unto me, all who, are travail, who travail and are heavy laden, and find rest for your souls. Um, let us find our rest in thee. From our fears and from our sins, release us. Um, so with that, I'm going to move us to uh, O come all ye faithful. This come, 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 adeste fidelis. Uh, but comments or thoughts before we wrap the class? Again, Phillips Brooks. No ear may hear his coming. The silent, subterfugal way that, that, that it was this, but it was also then in a backwater, you know, uh, somewhere outside of Op, Alabama. <laughs> uh, uh, no ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Um, here uh, is part of John, um, and then, uh, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end with, O come all you faithful. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son uh, from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He, in other words, Jesus, this babe in a box, has made Him known. So I bring that out because um, this this ancient hymn, uh, written somewhere way back, um, so old it was only it was written in Latin, Adeste Fidelis, uh, captures this. The last line, uh, which in fact, if, uh, Twisted Sister did a version of this song. For those about my age, what was their song um, that we listened to in junior high? We're not we're not going to take it. Was that them? We're not gone. They did a version of a. Uh, of O Come All Ye Faithful, which actually gets the climactic height of one of the verses uh, and the the urgency of O Come Let Us Adore Him with that sort of a driving guitar. I mentioned that, of course, because you're all going to run home and do this on iTunes. Um, this driving guitar, O Come Let Us Adore Him, O Come Let Us Adore Him, O Come Let Us Adore Him, Christ the Lord, the thrice-repeated urgency that's there. And, and D. Schneider and Twisted Sister actually bring it up to a climax. Word of the Father, Logos of the Father, eternal wisdom of the Father, all that's contained in that idea of Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Uh, and what we're going to close with is Bob Dylan, the inimitable Bob Dylan. And I know a lot of y'all have heard this part, this hymn. Uh, 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 he does not have that climactic ending. He does not get to the word of the Father. But he, uh, he sings the first verse in Latin, Adeste Fidelis. And to hear Bob Dylan sing in Latin and sort of drawl out, Oh, come let us adore him. It's worth its weight, uh, to, uh, it's worth its weight in frankincense and myrrh, I don't know about gold, um, to, uh, to close on this with some images. So Bob Dylan, um, Adeste Fidelis, uh, as a way to... Uh, bring us forth to to uh, to adore the Christ. Up, oh, speakers would be good. <clears throat> That's what you call human error. Have y'all heard this? His version? Y'all have it? Good. Thank you.
composite. Just that last image, no real comment except that I like it so much. It's a it's a detail of um, escapes me, but the you can't really see it because of the scrub bar. Uh, it's El Greco. That's right. Thank you. Um, the uh, the Agnus Dei, the uh, the Lamb of God, um, bound right there at the manger. Um, there it is. From our seer, from our, our uh, fears and sins, release us. Come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Let us pray, gracious and heavenly Father. Take this time, make it yours. I pray and speak. The word of the Father, now in flesh appearing in the, uh, this babe in a box. I pray that you would speak to us in our powerlessness and be for us, uh, giving us a Christian sense of that which is unique to, uh, uh, to us, what you've given us through your Holy Spirit. Um, enliven us. Uh, be with us. Um, take this time and make it yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Hope y'all do well. So.